There's a guy by the name of Aaron Ralston who, back in 1997, he set a goal for himself. He wanted to solo climb all 59 of the 14ers in Colorado, the 14,000-foot mountains in Colorado. He wanted to climb all 59 of them as a solo climber. And so in 2005, he became the first person to do it, first person to climb all 59 of those. And what's remarkable about his story is the last two years before completing his goal, he was in a climbing accident that cost him his right hand. And maybe you remember the story. He was climbing alone. He didn't let his family know what he was going to be doing. And he found himself in a slot canyon. And there was an 800-pound boulder that dislodged and trapped his right hand. And he couldn't move. He spent five days with his hand crushed underneath an 800-pound boulder, sipping the water that he had and rationing the food that he had brought with him. And toward the end, he was videotaping his goodbyes. And he went to sleep not expecting to wake up. He had considered at one point in time amputating his arm, but he didn't have the tools available to do it. And so uh, when he woke up, he realized that he actually could do something about this. He, he thought to himself, well, I can break my own arm, and then I can take my pocket knife, and then I can amputate my hand. And that is exactly what he did. He broke his arm, and it took him an hour to amputate his hand. And you're going, is that what you're going to talk about? No. This is part of just setting it up. So, okay. That was a little bit, I was reading through this again, I'm going, man, that is a little bit, I feel like swirly right down here. Do you feel a little bit swirly? Who, who would do that kind of thing? Well, after he freed himself, that wasn't the end of the story. After he freed himself, he climbed out of the slot canyon. He rappelled down a 65-foot cliff with one hand. He hiked eight miles out until he finally saw a family and um, they helped him, and they helped him get in contact with some authorities. They made a movie called 127 Hours and about his, his ordeal based upon his autobiography. In, in one particular speech, he made this statement. He says, the incident wasn't about me losing my hand. It was about me gaining my life. I didn't just lose a hand. That wasn't the point. The point was I gained my life. A lot of people are like Aaron Ralston, but you don't realize it. You are trapped underneath an 800-pound boulder, and you can't seem to move beyond where you are. And for some... You feel so trapped that you've given up the fight. And so what I want to do today is I want us to look to Jesus, and I want us to see how we can gain our lives back. So you might wonder, what is the 800-pound boulder that I'm talking about? What is the topic that we're going to deal with? 
But let's listen to what Jesus had to say in Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. Now, this is within the context of Jesus' greatest sermon that he has ever delivered, the Sermon on the Mount. And part of what Jesus is doing is in the Sermon on the Mount, he's trying to contrast the righteousness that really is a part of the life of people that are serious about following him as opposed to a pseudo-external kind of rightness that ultra-religious people portrayed and boasted about. And yet their hearts were really far from the intent of what does it mean to live a life full out for God from the inside out. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said. This is the second time that he has said this statement. A couple of weeks ago, we dealt with Jesus talking about, you've heard it said, don't commit murder. And Jesus said, I tell you, if you, if you have murderous thoughts in your heart, if you're angry with another person, you're guilty of murder. And so now Jesus talks about what could be the other side of the coin, often in a culture like ours. You've got anger and you've got well, let's look what he says. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. He's quoting the sixth, I mean the seventh commandment, seventh of the tenth commandment. He said, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Throw it away, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Jesus, while he walked on the earth, he blew the cover off of the religious elites of the day, the Pharisees in Jesus' day, as ultimate as, uh, you know, sometimes ultra-religious people can be. They smugly thought that if they didn't commit certain sins, they were okay with God. I mean, you and I have done this, have we not? We look at what somebody has done, and it's in the media, and we go, well, at least I never killed anybody, right? Hello, is anybody out there listening to me? We often... We often do that. We can be so smug with our own religiosity and say, well, I've never done the big thing, and we think that we're okay with God. Jesus will not let us get by with that. They had rationalized that they could do certain things with their mind and it not be sinful. They didn't do it with their body, but I can do things with my mind and it's not a sinful thing because I've not acted it out in my body. What was the boulder that trapped them? It's the boulder of lust. It's a boulder that traps many people. Been trapping people for generations, ever since the fall of Adam and Eve. So let me just tell you what's going to happen. Everybody is going to feel uncomfortable. Everybody's going to feel this. And this isn't intended to see if I can elevate guilt and shame. This is really intended to say, how can we go about getting free from the boulder and gaining back our life? Are you interested in that? I think we're all interested in that. So let's get busy. 
If you're taking notes, I'm just going to give you three really practical things to consider that will help us to get free and stay free. Number one, guard your inner life. If you want to gain your life back, if you want to gain your freedom back, if you don't want to be hung and blocked and stuck by an 800-pound boulder of lust, guard your inner life. Jesus talks about the inner life. Let me go back to verse 28. Everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus goes, let's talk about the heart for a minute. And when Jesus is talking about the heart, he's talking about the mind, he's talking about the will, he's talking about the imagination, he's talking about, he's talking about our emotions. He says, let's deal with really the inner, the inner matter and the inner impulses that eventually lead to the external acts. He's not saying, let me, I'm going to, while I do this, I'm going to tell you what Jesus is not saying and what I believe Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying it is wrong to find somebody attractive. For some of you, that was freeing right there. We find people attractive because God designed us as beings that are sexual as well. And that's part of the, the human attraction. He made us that way. He's not attacking hormones, and he's not attacking human physiology. It's one thing to say that is an attractive person. It's another thing to what you do next. He's dealing with the inner life. So when he talks about anyone who looks lustfully, you could say that he's talking about, yes, right there. I've got a pen back there. I should have used that. Everybody come back right here. Just pay no attention to all the mistakes that just happened there. When he uses the word looks lustfully, it means this, the strong desire to possess what belongs to someone else. Time out for just a minute. It's as if Jesus has taken the seventh commandment, do not commit adultery, and he has gone and he got the tenth commandment, and he's combined them. The tenth commandment is do not covet your neighbor's wife. A strong desire to possess what belongs to someone else. It is a form of greed. Intentionally objectifying another person for one's own gratification. Jesus says, if you look at another person in order to possess what is not yours, to gratify yourself and objectify another person, that is an inner issue that needs to be dealt with. It is mishandled or misdirected sexual desire, fantasy, or intent, even if you've never committed the act. Jesus is saying, listen, you got to guard your heart. Because the heart is where things take place before they ever are acted out in the body. Jesus is saying this. The person you are looking at 
and longing for lustfully does not belong to you. You do not have a relationship with them. You're just using them for your own pleasure and violating any commitment you or they already have to another person. Lust always separates relationships when it is this unholy lust that Jesus is talking about. It treats another person as an object and not as a person. But we need to understand what Jesus is not saying, too. Jesus is not saying, well, listen, if you've already done adultery in your heart, you might as well go ahead and do it physically because one is just as bad as the other. I'm going to say something that might be controversial, but you don't want you to hear what I'm saying. It's one thing to commit murder in your heart. It's quite another thing to actually kill somebody. So those aren't on like an equal level. That's taking it to another level. It's one thing to commit adultery in your heart, but it's quite another thing to act on that in your mind and actually enter into that kind of relationship. Physical adultery includes everything that is wrong with lusting in the heart plus more. Deceit, betrayal, the breaking of a promise, damage to a family, deeper hurt to a spouse, devastation to your own soul. Sexual desire is not like the law of gravity. You and I can control it. That's the implication here, right? Do not commit adultery. And don't commit adultery in your heart. You, you and I have the ability to control. It's not like we can't stop ourselves. Failure in this area has nothing to do with ignorance. It has everything to do with negligence. Can I be honest with you? The failures that I have committed in my life in any area whatsoever hasn't been because I am ignorant of something. It's because I have willfully neglected the truth because I have wanted something more than I have wanted to live for God. That's what sin does. The question is, not is it sinful to have a lustful thought. The question is, what do we do with the thought that we have that comes to our mind? Do we cultivate it? Do we feed it? Do we let it grow? Do we let it take over? Do we let it control us? Or is it the other way around? In the power of Jesus, we seek to take control. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said something that's piercingly strong when he said this, when you have made your eye an instrument of impurity, you cannot see God with it. If I have cultivated a habit of looking in order to possess what is not mine, if I have cultivated and not held back the urge to look in a lustful fashion, I'm going to find it difficult to see the beauty and the majesty and the activity of God in my life because I have cultivated a certain way of looking at life. Jesus' point is this. If you think that you are sexually perfect, and need no repentance because you have avoided committing physical adultery, think again. It runs deeper. It's a matter of the inner life. And that's what needs to be 
addressed, we have to be vigilant to watch over the inner life. Solomon was at one point in time the wisest man in the world, but he didn't end his life well. Solomon gave in to the very thing that we're talking about, and he didn't practice one of the wisest statements that he ever made, and that was Proverbs 4.23, when he says, above all else, guard your heart. Guard your heart above all else, for it's the source of life. Both Jesus and Solomon say that the heart is the executive center of your life. It, it, is, where, it is where decisions are made. And it's, it's either we allow it to be taken over or we bring it under submission to Jesus Christ. We are to guard our heart above all else because it is that place that is the source, it is the source of life. Our heart is influenced primarily through our reason and through our emotions. It can be damaged by the invasion of ideas and images and impulses that can clog reason and corrupt emotions. Pornography is a portal straight to hell. Pornography will corrode your soul. It will damage relationships. It can lead to sexual abuse. I have never had anybody ever come to my office and tell me, Pastor, my use of pornography has made my life better. It's improved my marriage. It's improved my relationship with God. Never. But I have had individuals talk about how it has destroyed their life. And it's their health and it's their hope. Jesus says, listen, we've got to guard our inner lives. I was nine years old when Greg Trojak, neighbor boy, got a magazine from his daddy, and me and Greg and the McDonald boy and Bucky all went out in the pasture behind Greg Trojak's house, and I got my first glimpse of pornographic images. That was back in the day when they were in magazines. Right now, there is access so readily available to everybody on your phone, on your computer. Parents have to be extremely diligent not to allow their children to have their souls hijacked to hell. Students and adults have to guard themselves from that as well. Jesus said it starts in here before it ever acts out. So if we're going to get free from this boulder, we have to guard our inner lives. Second of all, we have to treat sin seriously. Treat sin seriously. What Jesus does is Jesus uses hyperbole. Jesus uses humorous 
over-exaggeration in order to make the point about how serious we need to take sin. Look at what he says in verse 29 and 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown in hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to, be, to go into hell. And let me give you a little help biblical interpretation-wise. We can take the Bible as being literally true, but you can't always interpret certain passages in a literal way that Jesus intends that you go do this. He's, you have to understand the kind of language that he's using. He's, he's doing overstatement. So let me see if I can give you a way that you could read this literally, and it just sounds pretty stupid. So Haddon Nubin Robinson said, suppose, suppose I struggle with lust, so I poke out my right eye. But there is no evidence that one-eyed people are less lustful than two-eyed people. So I chop off my right hand, but no study has ever verified that one-handed people are less lustful than two-handed people. I gouge out both of my eyes, but sexual fantasies will still play on the cinema of my mind. I can eliminate both arms, both legs, but torsos are not exempt from lust either. The problem isn't body parts. The problem is the inner heart. And we have to, we have to treat sin seriously. Jesus isn't giving us a law because laws don't change life. A gouged out eye and a bloody stump cannot change a wicked heart. It has to be something that happens from within. He used absurdity to show that lust, if not dealt with at the heart level, is serious enough to destroy people's lives and send them to hell. What's the point? We have to treat this sin with all seriousness because of where it can take your life and the lives of other people. The Puritans used to say it like this, always be killing sin or it will kill you. Always be mortifying, putting to death sin in your life so that it doesn't kill your soul in your life. Donald Carson put it like this, he says, we're to deal drastically with sin. We must not pamper it, flirt with it, enjoy nibbling a little of it around the edges. We're to hate it, crush it, dig it out. Sin leads to hell, and that is the ultimate reason why sin must be taken seriously. And all God's people said, amen. Guard your inner life. Treat sin seriously. And then third, have a battle plan. What's the battle plan for dealing with this? What is a strategic approach? I've given, all of this is action. All of this is actionable. And I want to continue to give actionable items. In the power of the Holy Spirit, with the help of Scripture and the help of His church, 
You and I can gain our freedom and not be trapped by the boulder of lust. We can live lives that are free. We can experience human sexuality the way God intended it to be experienced within covenant relationship. If it's not experienced within the covenant relationship of a one-man, one-woman marriage, sex becomes consumerism. God intended it for, for it to be a covenant not for it to be a consumer item where our eyes are just consuming anything that we can that isn't right. What's the battle plan? Paul gives this battle plan right here. Look at 2 Timothy 2.22. Free from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So you should take this down. This will be easy to remember. The battle plan has everything to do with, first of all, running from. Running from what will trap you. Paul says, flee youthful passions. Simply saying, listen, fight unholy desire by getting away from it and staying away from it and never putting yourself in the place of it. Why is it that folks who struggle with alcoholism stay away from clubs and stay away from bars? Because why would I go back into a place that has everything to do with feeding the addiction? You don't do that. Same with thing here. Fight unholy desire by getting away from it, staying away from it, and not going near it. So let me give you a practical way. One of the best spiritual practices for fleeing from lust is abstaining from all media. Abstaining from it. Fasting from it. I don't know if you've ever done a fast before where you've gone without food in order to allow the hunger pains in your stomach to cultivate in you and to rise up within you a hunger for God. I'm going to do without something in order that I can pursue something better. And, and it may be for some of you, the drastic measure is this. You, you just, you completely fast from, from all media whatsoever. That may be the only way that you can get some freedom. Maybe some of you just need to step into that briefly. Typically every year at Lent, the season right before Easter, I try to do a media fast where I go 40 days without social media, without, without television, without radio. Why am I doing that? Because I think everybody needs to have a cleansing from all of the inundation of media that intends to, to harm. I know some folks in our church who have said we have intentionally had to stop hanging around certain people because the conversations always go to things that are in opposition to Jesus. And so we've had to adjust our friendships. That may be the same thing that you have to do as well. Have a battle plan. Run from the things that are unholy. Second of all, run to. You run from youthful passions and he says... Pursue. It isn't just about, I'm going to stop doing this stuff because if you just stop doing things and there is a 
there is a vacuum in your life, that vacuum will quickly get filled with the very thing that you've tried to stay away from. So run from it, but make sure that you're running to something that is better. Paul says righteousness, faith, love, and peace. So instead of trying to get your life fulfilled in something else, if you're married, how about running to your spouse? How about cultivating that love for your spouse? There was a there was an old pastor that said it like this. I, lo- I love this. We don't talk like this. His name is Thomas Chalmers. He says this, the only way to dispossess the heart from an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. Isn't that great? The only way to cultivate a heart of peace and righteousness and, and love is the expulsive power. Power. The only way to, 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 to not be captivated by lust is the expulsive power of righteousness, peace, and love, something that is better. He, he goes on to say this. It is beholding with our thoughts and imagination the worth and the excellence of God as seen in the gospel. It is in seeing the love of God and sending his son to die for unworthy men and women like us. It is seeing the blended holiness and compassion of the Godhead in the mysterious act of the atonement on the cross. We know of no other way by which to keep the love of the world out of our heart than to keep In our hearts, the very love of God. Cultivating a heart for God. The only way to say no is you have to have a deeper burning yes that is more captivating and more life-giving. Third, run with. Run with. Run from run to, run with. Flee from youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. What is Paul saying? Don't do it alone. Don't try to do this by yourself. Running from what is destructive and running to what is life-giving needs to be done with other fellow believers. Connection in the community of faith is essential for progress in being like Jesus and the perseverance of the saints. Do you have people in your life who you can be vulnerable with and who will hold you positively accountable? who love you enough to step in and say, hey, brother, I've been listening to you talk, and it sounds like your heart is beginning to drift. I've been listening to you talk about what's going on in your life, and it feels like you're giving yourself to an old, lesser affection, an unholy desire. If you struggle with pornography, let me give you a tip that we encourage anybody to consider. There is a app called Covenant Eyes. And Covenant Eyes, you put on your computer, you put on your cell phone, and basically what it does, it's gonna help filter things for you and 
it's going to have people in your life who will get a list of every place that you have been on your computer so that you have built-in accountability. So if you slip, a friend can say, hey, I noticed on the report that you were here. Are you okay? There are ways that we can do this without living in about or needing damning secrecy because we're only as sick as our secrets but if things come into the light and we've got brothers and sisters who walk in the light with us we're going to do a better job of being able to stay true to the heart of God so let me just give you a couple of closing thoughts I'm going to talk to parents for just a minute parents talk to your children about sex don't wait for them to bring it up. Take the initiative. How early should you start talking to your children about sex? Early enough so that they hear it from you first. And keep talking with them about this through elementary, through middle school, through high school, through college. Continue to talk about the beauty of God's original design for sexuality. He came up with it. He put it within the right kind of boundaries because he wants us to experience what he designed it to be within the safe boundaries of a covenant relationship. Tell them the beauty about the boundaries of marriage between a man and a woman. And maybe if you don't know how to talk about it, there are so many books that are out there that are age appropriate. Talk to our children's ministry. Talk to our students' ministry. And they can give you some suggestions on that. Don't, I mean, I could ask for a show of hands, how many of you never had your parents do the talk? And my parents didn't tell me anything about anything. Other than this one girl I dated, they said, she's a bad girl. And it's like, okay, I think I'll date her then. I didn't, you know, <laughs> what, what does that even mean? You got to help me out here. So talk a little bit about it. Finally here, in a church, it's easy to pretend that we don't have this problem. It's easy to pretend. This is somebody else's issue. Why? Because it's It's vulnerable. But here's the deal. We've, we've all been affected in one way or another. And I'm going to get real personal for just a minute. And so some of you are going to feel some discomfort. And this isn't about guilt. I want you to keep listening to me until I get to the end and then I'll be done. Maybe you're affected by being tempted to escape from your spouse, if you have one, by fantasizing about somebody else in inappropriate ways. Maybe you're keenly aware that we live in a society that idolizes sexual attractiveness in which beauty and sexual allure is power. So maybe you have found yourself too attached to the need to appear sexually desirable or jealous of someone who is more attractive than you. Or maybe you find yourself flirting inappropriately to prove your attractiveness. Or maybe you struggle with some form of homosexual feelings, or maybe you struggle with sexual addiction. Maybe you've been playing games and you've already crossed some lines that you shouldn't have crossed, and on and on and on and on I could go. But the truth of Jesus' teaching brings us to this 
freeing reality. God knows. And the only way to get freedom is to be truthful to ourselves because God already knows. So when we're truthful to ourselves, then we can be truthful to God. And we have a God who understands and we have a God who forgives and we have a God who restores and we have a God who is all about beginning again. And this particular sin feels so shameful, maybe more than any other struggle that's out there. And I know some probably carry a deep sense of shame and guilt. But I want to tell you that there is nothing that you have done that is so bad that Jesus' death and resurrection cannot overcome. Jesus' blood has covered all sin. Freedom and forgiveness is available. So maybe what needs to happen today, not in a public fashion, but in this public setting, is that we just take a moment, bow our heads, close our eyes, and just have an honest moment with the God who loves you. Not a God who condemns, not a God who is getting ready to fry you with a lightning bolt, but a loving God who says, come to me. Confess your sin to me. Receive encouragement from me. Recognize I've given you my spirit. You are no longer under the law of sin and death. You are now set free by the spirit of God. You're no longer a slave to sin, but you are now free in Jesus Christ. So let's pray for just a moment. And I'm going to be silent, and you just talk to your loving father. So, Lord, in humility, we acknowledge that this has been a struggle in our lives, and for some, this is a very present challenge that is stronger than a struggle. It has become a gripping, life-draining addiction. And God, wherever we are on the continuum of this particular bolder. We know that you want us to be set free. And we know that that requires not just pretending that it's not a big deal and not just treating this flippantly, but to take it seriously because of its destructive power, but also to take your view of human sexuality seriously as well, that you design something 
that was wonderful and beautiful within the right boundaries for it to be fully expressed, this covenant relationship of husband and wife. And we thank you for that. We thank you that the gift of sex has not only been for procreation, but for pleasure within those boundaries. And so we affirm that. We affirm that that's good. And we also confess that the enemy is constantly luring us to view what is good in a bad light, to take what is a holy desire and have it distorted into an unholy lust. So God, thank you. Thank you that we can, by your Spirit, guard our inner life. We can treat sin seriously, and we're, we do have a battle plan of running from it, running to you and running with fellow believers. My prayer this day is that you will speak a word of freedom to all of us. Speak a word of life to all of us. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. And if you're in agreement, would you say amen?